Hello and welcome to the Summit Church Podcast. Our messages are designed to help teach and equip you on your journey to lead people to follow Christ. We hope that this message will inspire and encourage you no matter where you are in your journey towards Jesus. If you have questions, want to talk, or want to learn more about Summit, visit us at summitniles.com. The book of James, in our study so far, the author, half-brother of Jesus, has been talking about the test of faith. In other words, the development and the response of faith to the tests that we face. James also talks about some of the characteristics of faith. And those are the works of the reality of faith in the life of a, of a follower of Christ. It's the outward demonstration of, of inward faith. It's a, in, in fact, a faith that doesn't produce uh, change is, is not saving faith, that the, the grace of God changes something in, in our lives. It saves us. So we've talked about the, the but now experience. And then uh, today we're, we're talking about the triumph of faith. That is the power, the reassurance of faith that overcomes the world. What is the hope that we have? Because of our faith, uh, we have the strength of, of, of God's, uh, the, you know, the, the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives within us. So I, I like the words of Andrew Murray when uh, he, he said this. He said, the world, so let me just go back and review for a minute where we were at last week. Andrew Murray said this. What does, uh, the world asks this question. The world asks, what does a man own? But Christ, at, Christ asks, how does he use it? So how I steward my wealth reveals my spiritual health. James 5, 1 to 6 can be summarized with these, these principles. Let me just review from last week. And I'm going to say it two ways, both negatively and positively. Uh, the negative side, simply in, in response to what James was teaching us, he said, don't hoard money greedily, don't withhold money deceitfully, don't spend money selfishly. All right, short version. Don't be greedy, to self, deceitful, or selfish. Got it? If you turn it around and, and speak about it in the positive form, uh, it can be summarized with these three principles. Manage your money wisely, earn money honestly, Share money generously. That's the short version, uh, is, is, is simply this. Be, be wise, be honest, be generous, right? So there you go. Um, if, if I could have done that for you last week, we could have been done in about two minutes and you could have been home, beat the Baptist to lunch, right? <laughs> the story goes that Erasmus, this whole idea of wealth, we talked about that last week. And I want you to see because it, it connects where we're going uh, for this, this morning. Erasmus, who was a Renaissance scholar, was sitting with one of the former popes, and they were watching literally as wagon loads of wealth were being wheeled into the Vatican. And, and the pope looked at uh, Erasmus, and he simply said this. He said, no longer... Can the church say with Peter, silver and gold have I none? Because there's a lot of it here. To which Erasmus replied, true, that is true. But neither can the church say to the lame man, take up your bed and walk. Remember what the apostle said? Gold and silver I do not have, but I say to you, pick up your, the power of God, pick up your bed and walk. And and the power of God. And, and, and James is warning about the deceitfulness of wealth. That's a good segue into this week's 
theme and text. James 5, notice verse 7. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, waiting patiently for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we covet and count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Above all, my brothers, sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no, otherwise you will be condemned. I want you to see how this passage connects with where we have just been. And let me just start with this illustration. There is uh, a wall of shame in Lima, Peru. It's a, it's a concrete barrier that literally separates the rich from the fo- poor in the city. So Lima has some of the poorest, the most poor slums in the world. Multitudes live in squalor. It's, it's a hot mess. It's um, um, folks who are in conditions that are just um, barely livable. And next to that is a place where the wealthy have uh, set up camp. The wealthy then built a wall to protect themselves from the high crime rate of the slums. The wall has become a symbol of the vast divide that exists between the rich and the poor. Now here's what we have in James chapter 5. Those first six verses, Jesus is talking to the poor, or James is talking to the poor. And in these next verses, 7 through 12, James is addressing those who are suffering. Now, it's as if James climb, would climb the wall of the, you know, the wall of shame there in Lima, Peru, similar to that. He climbs that wall, and he has something to say to the groups on either side of the wall. He turns toward the rich people, and he addressed them. That's what we talked about last week. He gives them an earful. And then he begins to preach to the poor, the poverty-stricken masses. In essence, it's what we have uh, in, in these last verses of you know, 1 through 12. James said that in a, in a flash of the moment, earthly wealth, it's going to vanish. You can't count on earthly wealth in, in, in eternity. And James warns those who think otherwise and live you know, accordingly um, that, that there's, there's a warning against that. And then he, he says, there are, as Christians... Um, those of you who are, are uh, following Christ, that you need to have a theology of how you're going to handle your money, and, and, and yet at the same time realize that those with true wealth are not necessarily the ones who have worldly wealth. He said the ones that are really rich are the ones, even though they're suffering, they have Christ, and it lasts for eternity. And so he turns in verse 7, and he says to them, Be patient, be patient, brothers and sisters. See how the farmer waits. And so we want to talk this morning about what does it mean to wait patiently? What what does it mean to wait 
even if you're, if you're, James is addressing, maybe you identify, maybe you identify with those who are wealthy on one side, and you see that, that warning, and maybe you identify with the other people, so listen, I'm suffering, I know that there's things in this world that are difficult, and it's hard, and I'm struggling, and, and you're on that side of the wall, and I want you to, to hear what, what, what James is saying, he says, wait patiently, waiting, how are you going to do it? First of all, in verse 7, he says, do it patiently. You're going to be waiting, he said, listen, th- there's this isn't right. There's a situation here that's not right. These people have everything. These people have nothing. It seems like everything they want, they get. We get nothing. There's that great divide. It's not just, um, it, it could be, um, you look at people in their life and you say, these people seem like they never get sick. They never have any problems. They have perfect kids. You know, they drive a nice house. They have, drive a nice car. They have a nice house. Um, all is well. And look at poor old me. It seems like everything that happens to me goes wrong. I deal with, you know, the, the, big, the big oopsies in life seem to camp out at my door. And <clears throat> what James says is, wait. Just wait, because this is not the end of the story. How do, you do, how do you wait? You do it patiently. Be patient until the Lord comes again. Be patient, stand firm, be of good courage. He said, the Lord comes, the economics of this world are going to be reversed. Here comes the triumph of faith. The power, the reassurance of our faith that overcomes the world. He uses some Old Testament examples to encourage us. The the prophets from the Old Testament, they're people who waited on the Lord. Uh, People who who were suffering greatly the evil of the world and and because of God's mercy and his grace and how this whole thing ends, it turns evil around. You've heard me say this before. I love it when you, when you turn evil around, it's the word live. Perseverance is this determination to keep going. He said, do it patiently. Faithfully live by faith. Faith to live through the imperfections and the frustrations of life because we know that the Lord will finally work it all out for your good and for his glory. Patience is, is an essential ingredient in a Christian's life. Wait patiently for the coming of the Lord. Now here's one of the things that is, is, is the hope of, of a Christian and has been since um, the Lord walked the face of the earth. When, when, when Christ uh, arose from the grave, he appeared to, uh, Scripture says, Cephas first and then to the 12, and then he appeared to others and then to 500. Yeah, Paul, Paul's recording this. It, it's amazing to me that he, he appeared to all those people, and even of the 500, there's not a single one who said, yeah, that didn't happen. It happened. And then Paul says, and even I, the least of the apostles, I saw him. <laughs> and then they witnessed the resurrection, or the, the ascension, that Christ uh, arose. He said, I'm going to go prepare a place for you. He says, don't worry, go tarry in Jerusalem, wait for the Holy Spirit, I'm going to come, I'm going to be with you at the very end of the age, and he ascended into heaven. And then he said, but you will see me because I'm going to come back. In the very way that you have seen me go, I'm going to come back. And so there's this idea of waiting patiently for that day. And, and, and every Christian since the time of James, since the ascension of Jesus Christ to today, we're waiting for the return of Christ to make things right. It's, things are not always going to be like they are. You look at the world and say, listen, this place is going to hell in a handbasket. We've got trouble everywhere. Folks, it's not always going to be like this. This is, the, this is a dispensation of, of time where God's grace is, is, is outpouring. It's his mercy and his grace. Think about that to, to, for us to, 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 to reach others for Christ. But there's a day coming when it's all going to be changed. 
And he's going to flip the scale. He says he's going to take care of patient. You wait. How do you do it? Patiently. So he uses the example of a farmer. Farming takes faith. It takes patience. It takes work. You've got to be a little crazy to be a farmer. Why would you put perfectly good seed in the ground, stomp on it, bury it down, and then pray that somehow it's going to come up? I mean, you're dependent on rain and everything else. If you don't have faith, you can't farm. Um, the farmer plants in the spring, but he has to wait patiently for harvest. You, you plant in spring, you don't get paid till fall. It takes perseverance through drought, through flood, through heat, through weeds, through weather, all sorts of powerful so forces that, that affect the crop. Waiting, desperate, desperately waiting, despite changing circumstances and seasons. Rain, you know, to soften the ground for planting, rain to moisten the so soil for germination and growth, and it's all beyond your power. Waiting for a long time, he said, that's how life is. You, 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 you do what you know, you're faithful to God, you follow Christ, you're obedient to him. And he said, well, listen, where's my reward? It's coming, it's coming. Don't quit yet, wait. It does no good to give up. James says in a similar way that Christian is to exercise patience in living for God. We're often at the mercy of powerful sources which you can't control and sometimes don't understand. But nonetheless, you wait patiently as you keep on trusting, obeying. Look at verse 8. How else do we wait? We wait courageously. He says, establish your hearts, or a version says, stand firm. Miller translation, toughen up, buttercup. <laughs> right? How do you do that? You keep your eyes on Jesus. You keep your eyes on the second coming of Christ. You, you end up, by the way, you end up going where you're looking. If you ride motorcycles, and, and if, you, if you are in advanced training in, in riding a motorcycle, you are trained to look where you go. You have to look as you turn. And you have to, wherever you look is where you're going to end up. And so you have to turn to look. And the same thing is, I think, um, you know, the example of farming. When I was a kid, we didn't have ag GPS. And so, you know, you actually had, actually had to drive the tractor. And so you'd be, you know, pulling a plow or some kind of a digger, um, you know, a field cultivator, a disc, uh, um, chisel plow, whatever it is. And you're supposed to be doing this field. And you, and you head off across the way and you pick out a spot way on the distance and, and you make a straight line. And by there's, there's, there's pride involved in doing a field. You have to have straight lines. You can get made fun of out in the farmland if you have you know, crazy fields. What, are you from the city or what? You know? uh, now it's just GPS. You turn the button, you, know, you turn the wheel, hit the button, and away it goes. You watch TV before you, you, know, you get back to the end. And, and that's how it is. This, it takes courage. You have to focus, keep an eye on the end goal. The end is near. Watch for it. Wait for it. Here's verse 9. He said, do it without grumbling as you're waiting. James says, wait without grumbling. And here's the point. Christians who are consumed with grumbling are vulnerable to patience. Grumbling is a sign that patience has run out. And then check number one. How are we supposed to wait with patience? So grumbling undoes that. It's, grumbling is like weeds in the field. Noxious weeds. They're invasive. They begin to take over. I've told you my stories of walking bean fields. Dad would plant bean fields. There'd be way too many acres of beans, in my opinion. And we'd have to walk beans, and we'd pull out volunteer corn, cockleburrs, and milkweed. 
Milkweed you hated because if you pulled that, it'd get on your hands, it'd be sticky and gooey. That was a pain. Cockleburs, um, they were sometimes hard to get out of the ground. And corn, if you didn't pull it right and you didn't have gloves, it'd cut your hand. We used to hate that. But you have to get that stuff cut out or it will take over. Grumbling is like that. You have to be ruthless with your own grumbling. I didn't say be ruthless with somebody else's grumbling. That's where you may need some patience and some grace, some tact, some empathy. But be ruthless with your own grumbling, um, or it will come back. Uh, here's something else. Look at verse 10. He, he turns in verse 10 to give some examples of folks who waited patiently. So he points to the prophets. He points to Job. He said, James says, wait expectantly. There's some things that are going to happen. These prophets, uh, Job, they were, they were people who, who went through some difficult times in their life. But God in his faithfulness, I mean, believe me, everything that Job went through in his lifetime, anything that the prophets went through in their lifetime, and some of them paid with their lives, they have long forgotten about since they have been in heaven. Three seconds into eternity, the burdens and the sorrows. There'll be no sorrow there, no more burden to bear. No more sickness, no more disease. So wait expectantly because of God's great compassion and mercy. Why? Because of his mercy. Christians have suffered for their faith and they continue to suffer for their faith. But people who speak Jesus, and people who speak Jesus are bound to suffer. Prophets and Job endured great suffering. But God was faithful. I regularly get emails from the Voice of the Martyrs. The VOM, Voice of the Martyrs, is a missionary organization that serves persecuted Christians in the world's most difficult and dangerous places to be a Christian. Richard and Sabrina Wormbrand founded VOM, uh, VOM after being imprisoned in communist R Romania. Um, so for over 50 years, Voice of the Martyrs has been dedicated to inspiring believers to a biblical faith encouraging them to make a commitment to Christ and, and, and fulfill the Great Commission at whatever the cost. So there's this expectation that God is going to see you through. The farmer has an expectation that the harvest is going to come. In the hot heat of the summer when you're pulling weeds and you're cultivating and you're praying for rain and there's difficulties and there's things beyond your control, you, you look expectantly toward the harvest. The, the harvest. Um, in fact, um, notice verse, now verse 7. Uh, I'm going to skip that. We're going to keep moving. Look at verse 11. Perseverance. Those who are blessed, happy, are those who persevere. Did you see that in verse 11? James says to wait perseveringly. And again, that's in contrast to the worldly rich. James says those who persevere are eternally happy. They're the ones who are truly well off. The child of God who endures, who perseveres, those are the ones who possess true riches. Stand your ground, hold out, endure trouble. In this, in this world, you will have trouble. Never mind that, Jesus said, I've overcome the world. Now watch this. There's one more thing in verse 11. There's one more word there. The Lord is full of compassion and tenderness and mercy. It, it, it means that God doesn't just have some compassion. It, he is full of compassion, full of mercy. Even though suffering is universal, it's common to all human beings, it's only for a season. Why? Because God settles the score. 
Suffering is restricted, why? Because God limits what Satan can do. Suffering is, comfort, is comforted because God sustains us through it all and he never leaves us. Because of his, his mercy to us, his compassion for us, he will see us through. I want you to see finally what's in verse 12. James finishes this paragraph with a statement about oaths. And you say, okay, well, somebody must have ticked him off and he just threw this little quip in there about oaths and it doesn't really fit. I think it fits. He finishes this paragraph with a statement about oaths. He says, be patient until the Lord's coming. Wait patiently, take courage, don't grumble, keep your expectations, persevere. And then he says, in, those last, in that last verse, do it with integrity. So to cap it off, say what you mean, mean what you say. Be legitimate in word and deed. Don't let anything ruin your testimony. Christians are to be so truthful that when they say yes or when they say no, there's no question they're telling the truth. James says, why swear an oath like, you know, he, he's, he's saying things like, um, why would a Christian have to say, be telling something, recounting something, and then say, oh, I, I swear on my mother's grave? Why? Why isn't your word good enough? Why do you have to go through all that? So those are the kinds of things. So let your yes be yes and your no be no. Integrity. Wait, and as you're waiting, do it with integrity. See, the Bible doesn't forbid the swearing of all oaths. Only swearing deceptive, unwise, or flippant oaths. So, for example, the Bible does not prohibit a police officer's oath to serve and protect. The Bible does not prohibit an oath to protect your country as a military as anyone in the military would do. The Bible does not prohibit making a wedding oath to a spouse at a wedding altar. Those are all completely acceptable oaths. But what he's saying is, don't be flippant. Um, somebody should be able to, without you having to quantify or qualify it with, with some kind of a crazy oath, they ought to be able to take your word for it every time. And here's, here's how that ties to the rest of this passage. That even amid persecution, you tell the truth. People of integrity. James acknowledges that sometimes it's difficult during strong persecution to tell the truth. It can cost you your life. It can cost you some friends. So listen, here's the truth of God's word. Here's where I stand. I've often said it to you this way. Hey, don't shoot the messenger, but here's the truth. Sometimes you have a witness to somebody and they say, well, listen, because of some kind of progressive theology that has crept in and oftentimes crept into the church, people have some convoluted ideas of what the truth God is really speaking. And you have to stand and say the truth when you're waiting. Sometimes even the person, by saying the truth, letting your yes be yes and your no, no. It's not like, okay, listen, I'm with a group of people over here and this is how, kind of how they lean, so I'm over here. And then you came, I'm a group of people over here and here's how I lean over here. He said, when you're waiting, do it with integrity. Here's the final thing. Um, we're going to close our service um, in just a few moments. Let me, let me close this way. We deal, with, we deal with persecution. Naming Christ is increasingly costing Christians more. We struggle with sin. We can, as a sinner, you're a slave to sin. As a, as a Christian, you're no longer a slave to sin. But I'm looking forward. I was talking about this with a couple of brothers this last week. I'm looking forward 
to a new world, free from sin. No more tempted by sin. Can you imagine that? No, no propensity toward evil. No, none of that. No greed, no, no evil of any kind. While we work through the hardships of this life, we remain hopeful, remain patient because Jesus will return one day just like he promised. He who has promised is faithful. While we wait for the return of Jesus, we have hope. Hope for him. Hope for us to be taken from a sin-cursed world. Hope for the future. I started the message with an example of the wall of shame in Lima, Peru. This concrete barrier that literally separates the rich from the poor. So now watch this. Jesus didn't merely stand on the wall and preach a sermon. He tore down the wall, separating us from God. He allows us poverty-stricken sinners access to all of the riches of heaven. And that's why he sent Jesus the first time. And that's why he's going to send Jesus the second time. He said, in the same way that you've seen me go, I will come. Christ, when he was on the cross, paying the price for our sin, there were several words from the cross, seven words from the cross. One of them, his last, it is finished. Does it mean what? Finished, that he, that he died? Well, he didn't speak anymore after that, but what he was talking about, what was finished, was the work that he came to do, the atonement, that I believe that the blood of Jesus Christ is atonement for my sin. That because he gave his blood, and I believe in him, I won't perish, but I'll have everlasting life. I have the hope of heaven because of the atonement, the blood of Jesus Christ. And then Jesus, after he breathed his last, Scripture says that one of the things that happened was that in the temple, the place where the priest would go to offer sacrifice for the sins of people, once a year, take a sin offering there, and under strict um, biblical uh, guidelines, the priest would offer sacrifice for the sins of the people, and God would atone for their sin through the blood of a sacrificial lamb. And the priest would go in there with a bell on his robe. You could hear him walking around. But if, he, if somehow he would have come in in an unworthy way before God, the righteous judgment of God, he, he surely would perish. He could not survive. How would you get him out? I mean, so history talks about how they would tie a rope to the, the leg of the priest. If something happened, they could at least pull him out and hopefully consecrate a new priest to go in and make the sacrifice it says there, there was no way to get access to God there was no way there was no way you, were, you and I were going to get across that wall but when Jesus died scripture says one of the things that happened was the veil was torn from the top to the bottom you know what the symbolism of that the actuality of that is that no longer are we separated from the presence of God that he has said listen I'm not just preaching on a wall. I'm taking a wall out. You have direct access to God. You, you, you are a part of the family. You have a relationship with, with, with God Almighty through Jesus Christ. Now, folks, I hope that encourages your heart when you wait. 
when you wait, wait with that hope, that expectation. So Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness to us, your grace. We've celebrated much today of who you are. We've lifted you up. I pray your blessing on, on your people today, those who name the name of Christ, who've been adopted into the family of God, whose sins have been washed by the blood of Jesus Christ, who you have set on our account not guilty, and who have the hope of heaven and the joy of a relationship now and the presence of God for eternity. We celebrate that today. Thank you, Jesus. The Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you. May he be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you. May the Lord give you his peace. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this message from the Summit Church Podcast. Again, if you have questions, visit us at summitniles.com. Now go and be the church in the world.